hey, uh, you guys can go ahead and be seated. Um, hey, if you're here for the first time with us, uh, know this, know we're glad you're here. Um, just to give you an idea of, of kind of who we are, <clears throat> what we're about, we have a pretty simple vision statement. We exist to see Jesus change lives, and as you guys just sing about, we, we want to we see Jesus reach the world. Uh, one of the things that we pray often here is to see radical life change because we believe that God is in the business of changing lives. Uh, not just for good morals or goodwill, not to make your life better, because it's way bigger than that. This is way bigger than that. It's God is in the business. God is in the business of redeeming people. <laughs> we believe that nobody is too far, nobody is too bad, nobody is too dirty to be redeemed, to be transformed, or to be made new. So with that said, I don't, I don't know what you came in here with today, um, what burden you have been brought in here with, but, but hear me today. We believe that there's hope. We have, we have hope today. So just know that we're glad you're here. We really mean that. Um, and so you can go ahead and turn with, you, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been going through 2 Timothy verse by verse, a few, few verses at a time. Um, and these are Paul's parting words to Timothy. And it's something we know that is generally true uh, is that parting words are lasting words. So this letter, this was uh, Paul's last recorded, recorded letter that we have. Uh, and Paul wanted to ensure that the gospel did not stop with him, but it was passed through him. He didn't want it to stop with him. He didn't want it to stop with Pim- Timothy, but he wanted to pass through Timothy. So the message of the gospel... It, it points to our source of hope. Right? The message of the gospel, it points to Christ. It's the truth that we need. It's our source of life. And it's how we see our lives change and transform. So we've talked about uh, over, the past few me- over the past few weeks how the gospel is the message. How the gospel uh, transforms lives. How, and as followers of Christ, we have a mission. So the gospel is the message, message and we have a mission. And our mission is to get the message of the gospel all over the world. We want to see... The gospel multiply. We want to see the gospel multiply here in Tampa and to the ends of the earth. So we're getting to the end of this letter. We've got uh, two chapters left. Uh, we'll do these over the next four weeks. Uh, and then we're going to start preparing for Christmas. And some of you guys, I just said Christmas, and it's, you're like freaked out a little bit. Uh, but I'm excited about what we're going to do after Second Timothy. Um, it's going to touch on the burden and the heartbeat of what we're all about here. Uh, we're gonna, we're, it's going to be a six-week series called The King and the Kingdom. So there's a little tease, uh, but for, day, for today, we're going to be in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. And to be honest with you, uh, it's a little bleak, right? It's uh, the past two weeks, we've seen both the positive and the negative. We've had the bad worker and the good worker, the dishonorable worker and the honorable worker. And guys, today is just straight negative. Um, all of that, all of it is. So there's that, but thankfully today, we're not people without hope, right? We're not people without hope. So with that said... I want to introduce you to a pretty common problem. Have you ever had something that just never worked, right? Uh, it's always broken. Maybe it's an appliance. Maybe it's a computer or some sort of piece of technology. And I'm starting to get a little bit of a bad reputation among our staff here uh, for my tech savviness. You know, I feel like my phone, it never works. Over the past several weeks, you know, I got this new update and it freezes I can't text half the time. Uh, my, my phone has had a mind of its own. A couple weeks ago, I just started, it, I called four people in a row without even touching it, right? It just, it just, it just started calling people. For some of you, that's like your worst nightmare. 
Um, but we've had a few other things like that in our family. You know, we've had um, countless toys that just never seem to work. We've had some interesting cars in our marriage. I've, had, I've actually had the same car for 16 years. Um, I'm the only one who can constantly or inconsistently start the car. You have to kind of, you know, t- turn your eye and kind of twist your tongue right to get it started. Uh, mechanics can never start it, ever. Every time I go, I have to start it for them. Kelly, Kelly has a hard time uh, getting it started. Our last van that we had, it, everything was broken all the time. It was just constantly broken. Uh, we kind of, we've, over the few years that we had that van, we, we probably had, we had over two to three times the amount of average repairs that a car should have uh, w- within a year. Um, all of us, you know, what, what would happen often is that all of a sudden this car, we would be driving it, Kelly, it was often Kelly who was driving it, and it would just stop working, right? It would just, uh, all of a sudden, like, you can't, you couldn't go more than 10 miles an hour. Uh, and then you would hear this whining noise, flashers would come on, you know, it just, you just, it was, you know, we, we kind of slowly drive this car to a mechanic, we'd cut it off. And they'd cut it right back on, and every single time, there was never a problem. The mechanics were like, oh, it's fine. It's completely fine. So we got rid of that car. Um, but we also had, we had another car. This was Kelly's, you know, I married into this car. This is a car that Kelly had uh, when we first got married. Kelly had a, a Honda Accord. Um, you know, sh- and she really, she really wanted a new car. Uh, we didn't have much money. We were trying to pay down some student debt, and I'm just un- under the belief that Cars are just generally bad investments, right? They only lose value. As soon as you get them, uh, they start losing value. They never, cars very rarely, if never, gain value. So she really wanted a new car. So one day she came home. Uh, I was hesitant. This was early in our pregnancy with the first, with our first child. She said, Eric, I'm pregnant. My car has over 250,000 miles on it. My speedometer doesn't work. My odometer doesn't work. My air conditioning doesn't work. You can't lock all my doors. My car is constantly making funny noises. And now when I push the gas pedal, sometimes it delays, which might I add, this is not good, right? When you're trying to pull out into traffic, when you push the pedal and it's delaying. So she gave me an ultimatum that day on the spot. She said, Eric, if you want me to die, you'll continue to let me drive this car, okay? So being the loving husband that I am, I listed the car on Craigslist that night with a long list of every single problem that was ever, had ever gone on in this car because I was worried sick. Someone was going to actually buy this thing, and I was going to be responsible to whatever happened to them. So I sold it to a mechanic who wanted to fix it and sell, them, and sell it themselves. So I told him everything that was wrong with it, uh, passed that, you know, it was on his conscience, not mine. So there's that. Uh, that's what we have in our passage today. We have a long list of problems, so be encouraged. That's where we are. That's just where we are. But something I want to address, whether you're a Christian or not, one of the things that we can look at and observe in the world is that something is just not right. Right? When we watch the news, when we look at those around us, uh, it doesn't take long that to realize that People are searching for something different, hoping for something different. And most, most people, most of us at some point have said, what is wrong with people? Right? Like, what is going on? Just think about family situations or friend situations or financial situations. Maybe it's work or a school situation. It's not hard to realize quickly that things don't go perfectly. There is something in every human, right? All of us have realized 
or thought at some, at some point, something in my life is missing. Something in my soul. There's something that's just not right. And even within the church, this happens in the church too. If we're being honest, even inside the church, we see something that's not right. But yet we have a great hope. And our lives uh, are not, our lives are not completely fixed. Right? We have this hope, but yet our lives are still broken and they're not completely fixed. Because change takes time. Right? Processes change, it, t- it goes over a period of time. And I don't know about you, but there are things in my life that I have worked on, that I have improved. I mean, when I became a Christian, there were some things in my life that changed pretty radically. But then there are also some things in my life when I became a Christian. It's been a, a very slow process. Change can be very slow at times. I don't, know if you've, I don't know if you've seen The Wizard of Oz. There's this little quote in there. He says, you know, we're not, in, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore. I think we all get this, right? Life is hard. Life is difficult, and the world is broken. And so with that said, here's our big idea today, and it's clear. We live in a broken world. And so one thing that is important for us to grasp about Christianity is that it won't fix all of our problems. It, it's, just, it's just not. It may fix some or it may, uh, but it may not, right? I mean, it, God can, without a doubt, God can heal cancer, but he also, he may not heal it. Your, my, your life might get better with certain circumstances, or it just may not. It may get harder. But do you know what the difference is? You know what the difference that we have? We have hope. That's the difference. Christians, we have an unmistakable hope. In the midst of challenges, living in a broken world, we still have hope. In the midst of trial, we still have hope. In the midst of great difficulty, we can still sing and clap and smile and praise the Lord in great hope because we have something called hope. So that's where we're going today. So from, from our passage, we're going to see that we live in a broken world. It's, it's, it's overly clear from our passage that we live in a, in a broken world, but we must remember that we're not without hope. So if you have your Bible, look at me, uh, start with me in chapter 3, verses 1, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's also up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. This is what it says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as as was that of those two men. So that's it. That's our text. Super encouraging, right? Uh, so we have, it's really simple. We've got a simple outline, um, two simple points. One, it's the same as our big idea, we live in a broken world. And two, Christian, take heart, we have hope. That's it, that's where we're going. So the first point, this, the first point is going to primarily be our passage, those nine verses. We're going to go through verse by verse, line by line, talk about it, explain it. Um, and if it feels like I'm talking about 20 different things, it's because I am. Uh, it's, that's just, well, just kind of what's going on. There are literally a list of over 20 different things in this passage. So hang with me here. Um, that's our first point. We live in a broken world. But if it feels, like, again, like I said, if it feels like it's all over the place, it's because it is. Um, but all of these things, all of these things that we're going to talk about, it all points to the fact 
that we live in a broken world. And then our second point, we're going to take two things out of this passage. We're going to see a sense of uh, two specific things that come out of this passage that can hint to why we can have hope. Why we specifically, we have an unmistakable hope. So let's look at our first point. We live in a broken world. Look at verse 1. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. The first thing he says is, understand this, right? Don't be alarmed. Know this, that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Paul is speaking prophetically here. Uh, That just means he's speaking of the future. So essentially 2,000 years ago, Paul said, hey, don't be alarmed when we see these things happen. These things in the future. He says, he gives us a phrase, the last days. Right, it's a loaded phrase. It's often referred to, though, as a time specifically right after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost at Acts chapter 2. So it's right after that, but it's then also before Jesus' second, uh, second return. So Jesus came first. Right, He came first as a baby, as a man in the human form, which is why we celebrate Christmas. But then Jesus said often, he said he was going to return for a second time. And the second time that we're, when Jesus is going to return, it's not going to be as a humble baby, but rather it's going to be as a valiant warrior. And he's going to destroy evil forever. So let me simplify this, okay? This is what this means for us. We are now currently in a period of time that is in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So this is really good news for us because the story of Jesus is not over. This is not over. We know, that the end, we know the ending of the story. And God will not. God will not leave the world broken. There's so much I could say here, but I'm going to punt it to the end. Okay? So we're going to start chewing off our long list in a few bites at a time. So I think we can categorize this long list and about just kind of keep it simple. Um, so here we go. The first four, the idea here is being self-centered or selfish. He says in verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. Okay? When he says lovers of self, the opposite of this, it would not be to hate yourself. Like the opposite of loving, being a lover of self, the opposite of that is not to hate yourself. The opposite of that would be to love others first. Right? We don't love ourselves first, we love others first. That would be, um, you know, just people who think of themselves first, always first, never thinking of others. Then he says, the very next one he says is lovers of money. You know, money in the Bible is one of the most talked about things. He's saying in the last days, there will be people that love money. They love money. And I think, uh, I think just in the first two, we can start to understand that Paul, when he says the last days, we're, we're starting to get a glimpse that that time is right now. Right? This time is now. So we're in the last days that he was referring to. Just from the first two, we can see that, hey, maybe this is going on now. So um, I, we can put us in this list. Just think about this. This is seen, just money in general. This is seen all over the Bible. We, uh, when, when we love money rather than God, when we find our stability in our finances rather than our stability in Christ, it shows that we've got a heart problem. We, wanna, you know, we do want to be wise with our money. We want to be good stewards of our money. But this is not our hope. Our money is not our hope. Jesus is our hope. So continuing to look at the opposite of these, rather than being a lover of money, we're called to be radically generous, right? This is important to the life of every Christian. God wants to unlock our hearts for generosity. One of the things we say often here 
is that the mission of God can only go as far as the generosity of God's people. But please, please hear me on this. This is not about New City Church. It really is not. When I talk about giving and generosity, it's not about our church. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. That's what it's all about. When we look at our bank account, when we see what we spend our money on, this is a good indicator. We can see where our heart lies. When we think about money, just how we spend it, that's a good indicator of our heart. So if you believe in the mission and vision of New City Church, we would call you, you know, if you call this your church home, we would call you to give generously here. But if you don't call it your church home, that's okay. We're still, as followers of Christ, we don't get out of this. We're still called to be generous. Like, that's what, it's, that's what we're called to do, is to be generous. Again, it's not about New City Church. This is about God working in our hearts. There's so much that we could just could be said on that one topic, but we're going to keep moving through our list. So look at the next two. Paul says, people will be proud and arrogant. Again, it's clear throughout all Scripture. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, pride and arrogance, they're destructive, and God calls us to the opposite of that, which is humility. Look at the next two. We're going to keep moving pretty quickly. These are seen in more social settings, typically writing to other people. It says, abusive specifically towards others, and disobedient to their parents. Again, all of these things are signs that we live in a broken world, that something is not right. Look at the next four. These are things, that are, these are things specifically that are lacking. It says ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Basically saying, again, the world is broken. When people are not grateful, when people are not holy, they have no heart and they're hard to please, we're showing evidence that something's not right with the world. I'm sure every single one of us just this weekend at some point could fall into one of these categories. Let's look at the first one. Ungrateful. Anybody here been ungrateful? Unholy, right? That's kind of like the, the ace in the hole, you know, like gets you every time. Um, so, but let's keep going. The next two in our, in our list talk about speech specifically, the way we talk. It says slanderous, and without hope. So, again, did anyone here uh, maybe over the weekend get into a little, uh, you know, into a little argument, possibly? Maybe snap at your kids, your spouse, maybe a friend or a roommate. Um, something to think about. The next one, he says, brutal. That's the next one. The idea here, uh, I think this one's kind of funny. Um, it's like, it's acting like a wild animal, an uncivilized barbarian. That's what he's getting at. Any barbarians here? We have any Indian barbarians amongst us. So, um, you know, it, it seems kind of funny, but unfortunately, it's just really not. This is, this, is being, this is like being ruthless. This is being mean. When we think about the opposite of, of this, it would be gentleness. Because we as Christians, we're called to be gentle and kind, not a, not a brutal, ruthless barbarian. Okay? And then Paul carries on with not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And then he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So all of these things that we just kind of listed over, I mean, we just, we're going through them, right? All of these things, they all could be summed up in two specific categories, I think, okay? Lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. Most of our sin problems come from one of these two categories. We love ourself and we also love pleasure. Think about marriages that don't work, usually because one or both people in the marriage love themselves more than they love their spouse. Or also because of the love of pleasure, potentially. So one key, I think, that we could take from this from a healthy marriage is when the husband and the wife think about their spouse before themselves, 
Or when we think about the problem of friendship, either one friend or one or both, again, it's kind of the same idea here, idea here um, that they care about their own thoughts and opinions more than, the, than others. So we can kind of see the lover of, uh, love, being a lover of self and a lover of pleasure, they all kind of wrap up and that we could, most sin problems, sin struggles can fall back to, fall back to that. But look at verse 5. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he says, avoid such people. Let me, let me put this one bluntly for you. Uh, he's talking about spiritual hypocrites, being a hypocrite. This is like the typical southern fried religion. Southern fried American Christianity, where we go to church, stand up, sit down, go through the motions, uh, know what to do, know what not to do. We do our duty, say a prayer before a meal. Go, you know, on the outside, everything looks really, really good, like it's in order, but on the inside, everything's very empty. And as Paul says, he said they have an appearance of godliness, but, but they don't believe that God has any power. It's like a fake, stale Christianity. But it's, this is extremely dangerous, and it is a false Christianity. In my opinion, this may be one of the most dangerous things in the church today because it looks like Christianity, it sounds like Christianity, but do not be confused. This is not Christianity because it has no power. There is no power in this. You know, I hope, I hope and pray that our church would be the real deal, not as people that look like we have it all together, uh, like we know what we're doing because we all know Right, that certainly ain't true. But rather, when people look from the outside, I, my, my hope and prayer that we would, they would see a bunch of broken people that realize that we live in a broken world, but we can find great hope. And knowing that we're not hopeless. We are not hopeless. That would be that we would be people that know that we serve a God that has great power, the power to change a life, the power to make the blind see, the power to wake a heart, to see the greatness of God, to understand the love of Christ, to be captivated by God's grace and find great freedom and knowing that God has the power to take someone who is dead in their sins and raise them alive to be made whole with Christ. Because without a doubt, a powerless Christianity leaves us dead in our sins and without hope. A powerless Christianity leaves us dead in our sins and without hope. What often happens, though, in cultural Christianity, which again is not true Christianity, is the belief that people... that we must clean up our life first. And then, after we clean up our life, then we think we, need, we can then be approved to God, presented as approved to God. But listen to me. This is, void, this is void of the gospel. This has no power. It's hopeless and it's empty. Rather, because of the gospel, we don't have to first clean up our life. We must first come to the cross. We have to first come to the cross. We have to face Jesus, look at him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you defeated sin. And this must come first. We must first believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And then, knowing in our hearts that this is true, we can say to Jesus, Jesus, you're my Savior. You're my King. You're my Lord. I'm no longer Lord of my life. Right? We're no longer in charge of our life. We can say to God, God, you have all the power. God, I have no power. Jesus, you're the way. You have your way with my life. Take my life. Make with me as you wish. And when we do this, we're yielding ourselves over to God's power and not our own power. We're saying, God, you're in control of my life, not me. This is such great news. Think about this. We're finite beings. 
We are finite humans. We have limited knowledge, limited understanding, limited wisdom, and limited direction. Yet God is infinite. We serve an infinite God. God is infinite in knowledge, infinite in understanding, infinite in wisdom, and he can see everything, past, present, and future. God created us. He knows what's best for us. And when we yield our lives to God's power rather than trying to live in our own power, we can find great rest and great hope. We, because while we live in this in-between time, while we live in this broken world, we have to ask ourselves, both Christian and non-Christian, whose power are we trusting today? God's power or are we trusting our own limited power? Because as we continue on through our passage, we're going to see more clear evidence that we live in a broken world. We're going to see evidence of what happens when we don't yield ourselves to God's power, but what yet deny God's power. This is what it says about those who have an appearance of godliness but deny God's power. This is another glaring example. Look at verse 6. It says, For among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. So we see those two categories. We see them come full circle here. Lovers of self and lovers of passion. They come and collide. And what this verse is referring to is men who are taking advantage of vulnerable women, either weak physically or emotionally, but more specifically here, he's talking about being weak mentally, possibly uneducated or easily swayed or possibly gullible. And we know this because of verse 7. Let's look what it says. It says, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Again, to put this bluntly for our context, Taking advantage of the vulnerable, either men or women, it's sick, perverted, and disgusting. Absolutely. This is, this is a perversion of God. Again, this is evidence that we are denying God's power when this is happening, and yet also, this is more evidence that we live in a fallen world, that the world is broken. broken. Everything that we've talked about so far, right? every single one, we see all the time on the news, on the university campus, in the workplace, in homes, in sports, in entertainment. But this last thing we're about to look at, it's carrying over uh, from the idea of these previous verses, and, and this, one's more, this one's very serious. And I would argue that this one, this is where we would draw the line between, between Christian and non-Christian. Okay? Verse 8 says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as ways of those, as was that of those two men. So just so you know, there's, a, there's like a whole backstory here. Um, we won't go into a lot of detail, uh, but if you're familiar with the story of Moses, so we've got the story of Moses, the ten plagues, where uh, Pharaoh was opposing Moses. Moses told him, he said, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh wouldn't do it. Uh, God sent the ten plagues. Well, inside of that story, right, if you're familiar with it, there were these two magicians who opposed Moses. And their names, they're, they're not actually mentioned in the Bible, uh, or not actually mentioned in the book in Exodus. They are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, they're, not, they're also mentioned in extra-biblical sources, although they're not mentioned in Exodus, they're mentioned in 2 Timothy. This is the only time they're mentioned in the Bible, their names. And those, their names were Janus and Jambres. So if you're completely confused here, this is the important part, okay? But these two magicians, they knew the truth, but they also opposed the truth. They rejected what was right in front of them. They knew it was true, 
but they didn't want to believe it. That's what was going on here. And the same thing happens today. I've seen this time and time again, where people want to believe. They know in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead and that everything about Jesus is true, but yet they reject it because it's inconvenient. So if you're here today and you're exploring Christianity, please hear me on this. Don't let your current passions and lifestyle keep you from following Jesus, right? If you're afraid of what you'll have to change, Jesus says to us, fear not. He says, fear not, follow me. This is our first step of faith. It's either true or it's not. We cannot waffle. Janice and John Bray knew in their heart what was true, but yet they rejected it. That's, let's, let, let this not be true of us. If you believe that Christ rose from the dead, we can trust him today. Don't wait. Don't go undecided. Trust in Christ today. If you're a Christian here today, we just went through a hefty list of about 20 different things. So a little bit of practical application for us with this list before we get to our last point here. Um, What specifically in that list was convicting for you? Maybe think of one or two things over that list. Maybe go back through it later. Um, Think of one or two things as we we talked about. And pray that God will work in your heart. Pray for conviction and pray for growth. So um, that's our first point, and it's also our entire passage. So before we get into our second point here, I want to give you a little bit of an insight uh, to my deeply philosophical mind. Okay? Do you know what this passage felt like for me? A grocery list. Okay? And let me tell you, I do not like grocery lists. When we first got married, we would go to the grocery store together. It was fun. Kelly got her things. I got my things. And then we had kids. And I want to be very clear here. Kids are a blessing. They're not a burden. But let's be very real. They make grocery shopping very, very difficult. Okay? We have three kids, young, energetic, fun. We have a lot of fun in our house. But let me tell you something very important, okay? Do not, you do not, I repeat, you do not go to the grocery store with three small kids. If you do this, it's only for emergencies. You get in and you get out as quickly as possible, okay? And then, just, just trying to take just one kid to the grocery store is a little challenging, because you're just asking for a meltdown from the other two who can't go on the grand adventure to the grocery store. So what happens in our family? Us parents, we like to go alone. And it's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's calm. It's quiet. Birds are chirping in the background. Right? The music is playing in the grocery store. And for a mom of three, this is priceless. Amen? You know what my lovely wife does? To make sure that this can happen, she knows a few things about me. Um, One, I love a good pound cake. And two, that grocery lists are my enemy. My grocery lists entail eggs and chicken and coffee and ice cream. Short, simple, get to the point, get in, get out. Her baking lists, her cooking recipes, I absolutely refuse them, right? I take the, so I take the kids, and she goes to the store in peace because her pound cake list, for example, entails 
eggs, sugar, milk, and that's typically about all I can find. And then I go on a store-wide search for the unsalted butter, the baking powder, the flour, the vanilla extract, the vegetable shortening, the special cream cheese, and the special ingredients that I swear do not exist. Not to mention the sweetened condensed milk. Logically, where would you find said milk, right? Where would you find it? In the milk aisle? No, it's not there. In a refrigerator? No, it's not there. In the aisle with all the other drinks and liquids? Nope. So after walking the entire store three times, I end up calling her at least five times, telling her, this milk, it is fake. It does not exist. Begging her to please, please use normal milk. She swears that it is real, and it is, in fact, at the store. And then she proceeds to tell me the exact location, the exact aisle. Let's be honest here. I'm a very logical thinker. Logically, who puts milk in a can on a shelf in a baking section? Right? It doesn't make sense. Since then, not to mention, I have to go and find the other items that I cannot find. I have to ask at least four other people in the grocery store to find these things. And it becomes a complete disaster. It is my worst nightmare in the brand. If Kelly wants me to take time to go to the grocery store, she does. She asks me to bake. She bakes a bound cake. So that's how this passage can make me feel. Okay? We've got this long list, each thing done individually. It's no good, right? All these things individually, no bueno, right? No one can find it. No one can grasp it, obtain it. And I don't know many people that go and say, ah, flour. I want to taste the flour. It's so good, right? Vegetable extract. I just cannot wait to have my vegetable extract. Or the canned condensed milk. I just can't wait to have my canned condensed milk. That just sounds so good. But when you put it all together, and you bake it in the gospel, God takes all of these bad ingredients, redeems them, restores them, and we become an incredible delicious cake. <laughs> because without a doubt, it's clear from this passage that we live in a fallen world. <laughs> but brother and sister, we're not people without hope. right? The baker, our maker, is not done with us yet. God gives us the special ingredient of the gospel. And he reworks our, our life. He redeems us. He recreates us into a beautiful new creation. Brother and sister, we have hope. That's our second point. Christian, take heart. We have hope. Paul, in this letter, he gives a prophetic word to Timothy that very much speaks to us today. Everything we just read, like we've talked about in this passage, we, we see them all the time. If we just, if we just read it, we see evidence of the last days. It's overly clear. What we've said, we're in what he calls the last days. The time that Paul is referring to, again, the time is now. We are in this in-between. When Jesus came to earth, he brought redemption to earth. He brought good news. He brought hope. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve. And we believe in Jesus. We gain what only he could earn. God completely redeems us. He completely restores us. He makes us into a new creation. Yet... When we look around, we notice that the world is still broken, right? That sin still exists, that there's still hardship, that there's still trouble. We're in this time that we talked about earlier, and it's often called, this is, this is just the, for your education, this is often called the already, not yet. That's like, that's the name of the time that we're in. Jesus has already come, yet 
the world is not fully redeemed. But as I told you earlier, we have two subpoints here in our passage, in our text, both specifically pointing to show how we have hope. And this is our first. We have hope because the story is not over. This is great news, right? If you're a Christian here today, we have great hope ahead of us. We have something to long for. If you're not a Christian here today, this should at least be intriguing to you. But if, if you are a Christian, praise God that the story is not over, that one day all of, this, all of our sin will cease to exist. We have a hope that promises there will be no more sin and no more sadness and no more tears and no more death. And the greatest hope of all is that we will be sitting with our Maker in the presence of God Himself, worshiping Him enjoying his presence. And this is what gets me so energized for our mission. This is what drives our vision here at New City Church. We will be worshiping from every tribe and tongue and language and people. Not an isolated select few from a country with people, but we will be worshiping with the living God with people from all over the world. That's the direction where God is taking us. And we labor and we work in towards that direction. So what this should be so encouraging and so hopeful and so life-giving. This is, why, this is why we labor towards that direction, because we do not labor without hope. We make great sacrifices, but they're not without future hope. We go through great trials, but they're not without future hope. We can take great risk, challenging risk for gospel advancement, but they're not without hope. Our life is in the hands of the living God. Our church is in the hands of our maker. Listen to me. This is why I get so fired up about what we're doing here at New City Church. I believe in what we're doing more now than ever before. Because God is working among us. I don't know if you see this or not, but God is working. God is working through us. Again, I have no clue what God is going to do with New City Church. But this is what I know to be true. I see evidence of God's grace all throughout our church. Yes, there are trials. There are difficulties. But they're all seasoned with unbelievable hope. We have hope now in Christ, but we also have a future hope that God, that God will make all things new. Amen? God will make all things new. Our home is not here on earth. This is but a glimpse of our, of our existence. Our home is with God in heaven forever. Brother and sister, we have so much hope. We are working and laboring towards God's end goal. We want to send people all over the world to worship Jesus so that the nations will worship Christ. This is, not, this is not our vision. This is God's vision. We have so much hope. There's future hope. This is such great news because as we've said over and over again, God wins. Our labor is not in vain. God wins. We have a future hope, but we also have a present hope. A present hope. We have already talked about the difficulty for those who deny God's power, specifically in verse 5. But let's turn verse 5 and let's turn it upside down. If we proclaim Christ, if we believe in the power of the gospel, and we don't deny God's power, but rather we believe in Ephesians 3.20, which is the opposite of verse 5 earlier, which says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think, according to... According to what? The power at work within us. This is such good news. Number two, we have hope to be. We have hope because of God's power, because God's power is working in us. We need to be reminded of this today. 
We can't deny God's power. God's power is working in us. How? How is God's work, power working in us? God's power is working far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or imagine. God is infusing us with power. God is using us with power, spiritual power, working in our lives with power in ways that we do not even realize, in ways that we can't see, in ways that we can't even think or imagine. This is not me saying this. This is God's Word saying this. If God's Word is true, then these words are true. God is using us with unbelievable power. God is changing us with unbelievable power. This gives us so much hope. God's Spirit is living and active. The Spirit of God is working in our church. We can pray bold, crazy, audacious prayers in great faith because God wants to do far more than that. God wants to see something far greater. And it's not crazy because that's what God's Word says. When we believe in our future hope, when we trust in God's power, when we fully grasp the gospel of New City Church, this should change the way we live. We can't be the same. This should affect our daily lives, day to day. This alters our big decisions, the way we use our money, who we spend time with, the things we do, the things we say. Alters our trajectory of our time here on earth. When we realize our future hope, when we start to think about what God is doing, about how, much, how little time we have here on earth, when we grasp the power that God has put inside of us, we have no time to mope because God is working in great power. We have a great reason to sing and to worship and to labor for the gospel. It's clear. Christian, we have hope. Our life here on earth is but a blink of time compared to eternity. And during this time, we have been granted unbelievable power. It's clear the world around us is broken. It's clear that life is hard, that difficulties will come. But hear me on this. Hear me. Brother and sister, we are not without hope. We are not without hope. Let's pray. Father, the gospel is good news. The gospel is such good news because it does not leave us dead in our sins, powerless, without hope. Father, the gospel is good news because it, it, we can respond and know the living God. We can be with Christ. We can have a future hope, Father. We can know you intimately and personally. Father, you're our maker. Father, you make all things new. The world is broken, but yet, Father, we, we have an unbelievable hope. Father, we love you. We need you. Uh, Father, let us sing and praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.